is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, I am operating tonight without a computer. Of course, an iPhone's a computer, but that's it. My laptop has gone belly up. It's no longer a laptop, it's a belly up top. And we'll see what we can do with this uh, overnight and tomorrow. So I'm working with an iPhone and my own cranium which is good enough for me. What did Rush used to say? Half my brain tied behind my back? Well, that's, that's where we're coming from right now. No question about it. I spent a good part of the day watching the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And I want to make several conclusions here. Number one, this young man should never have been charged with murder of any kind. Of any kind. Number two, this young man should never have been charged with anything. I watched this assistant DA who wants to become the elected DA, and he's a disgrace. These charges were leveled against Rittenhouse within 36 or 48 hours of the events. When you're going to charge somebody with murder, you need to have a little bit more time to go through the facts, particularly in this case, where even if you didn't have all the facts, you knew there was the potential for a reasonable self-defense argument. And that's why you take your time. But this is what the mob has done in this country. People are being charged, and they're being charged quickly when they shouldn't be charged quickly, and in some cases shouldn't be charged at all. Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people. The first two died, and the second had his right bicep shot and really turned into dust. In each case, 
They either assaulted him or were going to assault him. And in the latter case, he had every reason to believe if he didn't shoot, he would be shot. No question about it. And it is amazing to me how the media have turned this on its head as if this young man is guilty. As if he had to be shot in the head. As if he had to be hit again in the head with a skateboard. As if he had to wait to be brutally assaulted in order to defend himself. But that's not the law. It's not the law in Wisconsin. It's not the law anywhere. Not the law anywhere. Now the prosecution committed several unethical acts for which some judges would have held this prosecutor, Thomas Binger, in contempt. Including starting down the road with the jury that Rittenhouse, after his arrest, after being charged, chose to be silent and not talk about the case, giving the implication that he must be guilty. And of course, everybody knows you have the right to be silent, and the fact that you're quiet after you're charged is what any lawyer would advise you. So the the court was furious, and should have been. It was outrageous. And on the second occasion... The prosecutor is trying to bring in really information that's not determinative of anything. Well, you had the gun uh, I- illegally. Um, you were running around like you're a superhero, putting out fires with an extinguisher. Uh, you said earlier that if you had your rifle, you would have shot shoplifters. That has nothing to do with what took place in those three shootings. Nothing. And you might say, well, it shows a pattern, a mentality. It shows a pattern of nothing. If, in fact, it actually showed a pattern, if it was illustrative of a pattern, that's one thing. But it didn't. Because under the circumstances of the shootings, uh, they weren't premeditated. His decisions were made within nanoseconds. It has nothing to do with what he was saying to somebody else before. Period. I think the defense has done an outstanding job. Now in the last case, the individual who lived, who had his bicep shot, as you know yesterday, he wound up confirming that when his hands were down, Rittenhouse did not shoot him. But when he started lunging at him with his gun in his hand, aimed at Rittenhouse's body, his head. That's when Rittenhouse shot. We have a serious problem with justice in this country, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to give you another case. case that involves the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and many people who surround him. We have a federal district judge in the District of Columbia, like too many, quite frankly, who was appointed by Obama. This judge was appointed by Obama. 
And um, her name is Judge... Hold on, I'm on my iPhone here. Uh, Tanya Chutkin. And she has the typical left-wing credentials. And the core of her ruling was... Well, Donald Trump is not president anymore, and it's really not his responsibility to protect the executive branch from the legislative branch. That's the responsibility of the sitting president of the United States. And the sitting president of the United States has decided not not to argue executive privilege. Quite the contrary. He's decided that whatever documents the Congress wants, in this case, Nancy Pelosi's select committee of Politburo members, they can have. And so here she said you have the fusion of the executive branch and the legislative branch. And who is Donald Trump, an ex-president, to intervene? Because he doesn't want certain documents turned over. That's one of the stupidest arguments I've ever heard. First of all, just so you know, there is no definitive Supreme Court decision broad enough to, to use as precedent in this case. But I want to make a point to you. If Congress has the power to subpoena the presidential documents of a former president, they want texts and emails and documents at the National Archives and so forth and so on. Particularly a committee like this, where the Democrat Speaker of the House decided on who the Republican members were and rejected every single proposal by Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader. She decided who every member of this select committee would be, including the reprobates and ever Trumpers. But that aside, clearly, clearly you're protecting the executive branch when an ex-president asserts that he has the power, the authority to assert privilege over certain of the pieces of information being demanded by the House Democrats and these two reprobates. Because that information doesn't suddenly become available to Congress because we're talking about an ex-president. It doesn't suddenly become Congress's right to collect whatever they want, how much they want, from an ex-president of the United States by going into the archives and going after his official documents and electronic communications now that he's out of office. And this argument that Joe Biden is best positioned to determine how to protect the executive branch is preposterous. It's his party that's leading the charge in the House. Moreover, not that it will happen... But the fact is, at least now, Donald Trump is a potential competitor for him in the next election. I'm not arguing that Biden will run, but I'm making the point that what the judge said is is idiotic. So these political considerations are what the judge took into, into consideration and not the Constitution and separation of powers. Joe Biden isn't going to assert executive privilege over these documents during the Trump presidency because he hates Trump. He's not going to assert executive privilege over the documents, even if it means protecting the executive branch. 
because Trump's in the other party and his party wants the documents. He's not going to assert executive privilege in this case because at least he might be thinking he'll be running against Trump. And so whatever dirt can come out, whatever this, this Stalinist committee can pull together and use against Trump and his administration, all the better. That is what's going on. This is the idea of justice. This would be the same president, Donald Trump, who was the victim of the same Democrat Party, the same Obama-Biden administration, the Hillary Clinton campaign in this Russia collusion farce. It is the greatest fraud ever committed against the American people politically, ever. And the Democrat Party joined forces the Democrat Party joined forces with the FBI, intelligence agencies, and even the Russians to try and destroy candidate Trump, President-elect Trump, and President Trump. It is my contention that Obama, Biden, the Attorney General of the United States back then, Comey, we know Brennan, and Clapper knew, knew, that Hillary Clinton and her campaign were pushing for this Russia collusion issue. They knew. How do we know? Because last October, make that October 2020, Radcliffe, the then Director of National Intelligence, declassified and released documents that demonstrated. That demonstrated. So you had the Obama administration, Obama-Biden, the Hillary Clinton campaign, the FBI, the intel agencies, and of course, our corrupt, corrupt media. Colluding, conspiring to do what? To destroy candidate Trump and then to destroy Trump. And they never, they never stopped. They were unrelenting. We had a criminal investigation triggered as a result of what Hillary Clinton and the Democrats did. And not a single syllable in this still dossier was factual. Their single source was this Russian expat, an analyst at the left-wing pro-Clinton Brookings Institute. That was the source. Everything else was a lie, and yet Comey, knowing it was a lie, that's my contention, goes, meets with Trump before he's sworn in, meets with Trump, and basically shows him what he has, effectively blackmailing him, threatening him. And you wonder why Trump was furious? You wonder why he tweeted? You wonder why he fought back? There's no reason to wonder anymore. So when you hear people like Chris Christie at the Reagan Library or the Republican Jewish Coalition or other places trashing Trump or the likes of some backbencher, reprobate, Republican, a Bushy, a Cheney, or any of the others. Now you know where their heads are. By the way, isn't it amazing that you don't hear much from these never-Trumpers now that the entire Russia collusion farce and fraud is collapsing? 
You notice you don't hear them apologizing, you don't hear them saying anything. Same with the American media. The liars, the propagandists. And they're not returning any Pulitzer Prizes either, I notice. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. like two minutes they went over there but that's okay that still works justice we have this january 6th committee they just issued a whole bunch of more subpoenas and they're going after a lot of little people too that's because of this obama judge in washington dc that basically said go for whatever you want and of course you have the uh the mentally unhinged Joe Biden that says, yeah, go after Trump. Do whatever you need to do. There's not a single person on this committee, not one, who respects separation of powers, not one who actually cares about any form of due process. They're throwing the broadest net possible, taking in secretaries and press secretaries and everybody else. We want to know. We want to know that Trump, we want to know that. You already know what their conclusion is. That's why they're Stalinists. You already know what their conclusion is. Their conclusion is that Trump incited an insurrection. Trump incited an insurrection. You know, Bill Clinton incited an erection. Trump incited an insurrection. No, I don't think so, folks. The insurrection? Well, it's taking place now. Are you an individual or business owner facing the heavy burden of back taxes, levies, or wage garnishments? Life's challenges, especially those brought on by the economic impact of COVID-19 and inflation, can take a toll on your financial well-being. Now, the IRS has eliminated over a billion dollars in tax penalties and interest for back taxes. America First Tax Group is here to help you claim your share of these billions in tax relief before the IRS can claim the government's share and clamp down. Call them now, 800-806-1299. The IRS has people working to collect your money, but it's time to turn the tables, folks. America First Tax Group is a full-service tax boutique that puts clients first. They understand the stress of dealing with tax problems, and they will be your guide through the process. Don't wait. Time is of the essence. Call America First Tax Group. Here's the number, 800-806-1299. 800-806-1299. Or visit AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin. 
Nobody says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. The prosecution in the Rittenhouse case. My theory is the reason why they defied this judge in two instances is they wanted a mistrial because they're losing so badly because their key witness was a disaster and Kyle Rittenhouse who took the stand in his own defense was absolutely outstanding he was calm, cool, collected he answered the questions but he didn't fall for any of the traps actually quite an intelligent young man quite an intelligent young man Um, as I look through the horizon of issues out there, look at the different websites and so forth, this is what talk show hosts do. I've decided that what I'm about to talk about is a bigger priority. It's a bigger priority than repetition on radio and TV, that's for sure. Some of the biggest amounts of money that were in this recent so-called infrastructure bill, bipartisan, don't you know, and um, in the uh, in the in the sort of Stalinist plan the Democrats want to p- pass, involves climate change and the Green New Deal, because these will have a dire effect on the capitalist system, and as Biden himself said, a fundamental transition in our economy. So I want to take a little bit of time on this, if we may. And we may. The so-called environmental movement of the 1970s, 143 American Marxism, has devolved into another avenue to attack American constitutional republicanism and, of course, capitalism. From clean air and clean water to global cooling, warming, and climate change, The goal of many of the leading intellectuals behind this effort has been the introduction of Marxist thinking and objectives through the guise of environmentalism as the Green New Deal, which promotes economic regression, radical egalitarianism, and autocratic rule. But the movement has expanded well beyond that to include virtually every programmatic and agenda-driven goal of the American Marxism movement which has been embraced to one degree or another by the Democratic Party, among others. The environmental movement has developed numerous areas of overlap with other Marxist-centric ideologies and movements, such as critical race theory, via environmental justice, which declares the existence of environmental racism targeting minority communities. Some of the movement's masterminds insist that Marxism does not go far enough in establishing their degrowth utopianism, as they imagine life in a perpetual state of nature, where productivity, growth, and material acquisition are toxic to the human spirit. And of course, in the end, it all involves a form of repression and autocracy. Now, at the core of this mind-numbing, amalgamated, Marxist-centric or Marxist-like crusade is the degrowth movement. Mankind consumes and produces too much, and the blame resides with capitalism in America. Again, there are a variety of movements within movements targeting one or another approach, but there are basic tenets. 
And the best way to explain this is to expose what certain of its leading advocates have to say. In their essay, What is Degrowth? From an activist slogan to a social movement, leading degrowthers Federico De Mario, Francois Schneider, Filka Sukalova, and Joan Martin Allier write that, and I quote, Degrowth was launched in the beginning of the 21st century, <coughs> excuse me, as a project of voluntary societal shrinking of production and consumption aimed at social and ecological sustainability. I want you to think about this as you consider the shutting down of pipelines, the uh, upending of what was an energy independent nation, our country, and these various attacks on growth in this country. Because this is what it is. It's a degrowth movement. It quickly became a slogan against economic growth and developed into a social movement. Now these, are, these four authors are advocates for this, by the way. Unlike sustainable development, which is a concept based on false consensus, degrowth does not aspire to be adopted at a, as a common goal by the United Nations, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or the European Commission. The idea of socially sustainable degrowth, or simply degrowth, they write, was born as a proposal for radical change. The contemporary context of neoliberal capitalism appears as a post-political condition, meaning a political formation that forecloses the political and prevents the politicization of particular demands. Within this context, they write, degrowth is an attempt to Repoliticize the debate on much-needed socio-ecological transformation, affirming dissidence with the current world representations and search for alternative ones. In other words, reject what is the status quo. Degrowth challenges the ideas of green growth or green economy and the associated belief in economic growth as a desirable path and political agendas. Now, as a footnote, ladies and gentlemen, even Marx wanted economic growth. Even Karl Marx wanted economic growth, but he was focused on labor and distribution. But degrowth is even more radical, but it is part of this Marxist movement. Degrowth is not just an economic concept, they write, it is a frame constituted by a large array of concerns and goals, strategies and actions. As a result, degrowth has now become a confluence point where streams of critical ideas and political action converge. This is what is in this radical Marxist package that the Democrat Party wants to pass. And then I point out, hence the goal is to reverse the massive economic progress resulting from, among other things, the Industrial Revolution, which created a huge, vibrant middle class, an infinite technological, scientific and medical advances that have overwhelmingly improved the human condition. Now this quartet of authors continues. And these are professors. Degrowth has evolved into an interpretive frame for a social movement. Understood as the mechanism through which actors engage in a collective action. For instance, anti-car and anti-advertising activists, cyclists, and pedestrian rights campaigners, partisans of organic agriculture, Critics of urban sprawl and promoters of solar energy and local currencies have started seeing degrowth as an appropriate common representative frame for their worldview. And they have. Anti-car. 
Think about what's going on in our country today. Anti-car. Pedestrian rights. Urban sprawl. Solar energy. So forth. Now the social movement envisioned by these utopians would drag America into a regressive, impoverished society with widespread economic and social dislocation. That is, a pre-industrialized environment where progress comes to an end, and for that is the goal. Anti-car, which is anti-mobility. Anti-advertising, which is anti-speech. Anti-modern agriculture, which is anti-abundant food. Anti-fossil fuel, which is anti-abundant energy, etc., And I write, one wonders what if scientific and medical advances, how would they be developed and broadly applied for the benefit of the general population? Like Marxism generally, this movement is based on theories and abstractions that when forcibly applied to the real world, particularly in a widely successful and advanced society like ours, have a result that is disastrous for the population. And you're starting to see it now. The experience shows that For those among them who are famous, wealthy, and or powerful, they will continue to luxuriate in a lifestyle created by capitalism. Am I boring everyone, Mr. Producer? They go on. And I'm telling you these things because this is what's taking place today in the United States of America. It's not about climate change. It's not about managing growth. It is anti-growth, degrowth, anti-capitalism. They go on, degrowth is also an interpretive frame diagnosis that disparate social phenomena such as the social and environmental crises are related to economic growth. Degrowth actors are thus signifying agents engaged in the production of alternative and contentious meanings which differ from the ones defended by the mainstream. In other words, it's anti-capitalism. The prognosis, usually characterized by a strong utopian dimension, man, I wrote that book, seeks solutions and hypotheses and new social patterns. Marxism. That's what it seeks. Marxism. Beyond practical goals, this process opens new spaces and prospects for actions. Strategies associated with the prognosis tend to be multiple. In terms of approaches, these can be alternative buildings, opposition research, And in relation to capitalism, they can be anti-capitalist, post-capitalist, and despite capitalism. So there you have it, as I write, for many of the so-called environmental intellectuals behind this amorphous yet widespread movement. The goal is to spawn myriad sub-movements aimed at taking down the capitalist system. A little bit more. Sergei Latouche. A French emeritus professor of economics, the University of Paris said, is among the leading degrowthers. In the 1970s, he spent several years in South Africa where he conducted extensive research on traditional Marxism, where he formed his own ideology based on progresses and development. He's among the pioneers of the degrowth theory. He emphasizes a utopian-type doctrine in which even Marxism fails to make the grade. Latouche writes that because it cannot integrate ecological constraints, the Marxist critique of modernity remains terribly ambiguous. Ultimately, he says, growth in terms of the production jobs consumption trio is credited with every or almost every virtue, even though 
When seen in terms of accumulation of capital, it is held responsible for every scourge. Degrowth is fundamentally anti-capitalist. He goes on, not so much because it denounces the contradictions and ecological and social limitations of capitalism, as because it challenges its spirit. A generalized capitalism cannot but destroy the planet in the same way that it is destroying society and anything else that is collective. More so than ever before, he says, development is sacrificing populations and their concrete local well-being on the altar of an abstract, deteriorized well-being. The sacrifice is made to honor a mythical and disembodied people, and it works, of course, to the advantage of the developers. Growth is now a profitable business only if it costs are born by nature, future generations, consumers' health, wage earners, working conditions, and above all, the countries of the South. Actually, that's the way I view big government. That is why we have to abandon the idea of growth. All modern regimes have been productivists. Republics, dictatorships, authoritarian systems, no matter whether their governments were of the right or the left, no matter whether they were liberal, socialist, populist, social liberal, social democratic, centrist, radical, or communist, they all consumed that economic growth was the unquestionable cornerstone of their systems. The change of direction that is needed is not one that can be resolved merely by an election that brings in a new government or votes in a new majority. What is needed is much more radical, a cultural revolution, Nothing more, nothing less. That reestablishes politics on a new basis. The degrowth project is therefore a utopia, or in other words, a source of hope and dreams. And it goes on and on and on. What I've been saying from day one. This is why the Stalinists within the American Marxist movement, that is the Democrat Party on the Hill, they don't care about elections. They don't even care if they lose, if they can have one or two or four good years to institute and enshrine forever their ideology. That's a victory. That's a huge victory. So they don't care what happened in Virginia or New Jersey or New York or Colorado or Texas or Pennsylvania or Kansas. It doesn't matter to them. This is a degrowth movement. And as a result, what do you think? These degrowth movements result in big growth for centralized government in the police state. Redistribution of taxes, redistribution of wealth, redistribution through regulation, through law, through edict. That is what's taking place here, ladies and gentlemen. That's what's in this bill. That's what's in this bill. A disaster. I'll be right back. in. Have you gotten your letter from the IRS yet? These last few years have not been easy on the American family. And with tax season finally arriving, there'll be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them. Well, America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-806-1299. Hello, 800-806-1299. And you'll be in touch with the America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS and help put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-806-1299. That's 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin. Again, 
800-806-1299 or americafirsttaxgroup.com slash L-E-V-I-N. American Marxism has been on the New York Times bestseller list for four months straight. It was number one for ten weeks straight. It fell off the list today, Mr. Producer. Despite the fact that we sold more last week than four other authors who are on the top 15 list. It's just a matter of time, ladies and gentlemen. You know how the New York Times conducts itself. They could not stand the fact that this book was on their list for 16 weeks. And so they jigger the system to try and create the impression that so many other books sold more than American Marxism. It's a lie. They say they have a special system in which they make determinations. You know, they give heavier weight to independent bookstores and so forth. I don't buy any of that crap. None of it whatsoever. They treat it like it's some kind of nuclear secret. We should have been on the list this week, this past week. We're not. I don't care anymore. The fact is the message is out there. And thousands and thousands of you are still purchasing the book every week. I'll be right back. Hello everyone, it's Mark Levin here. Today I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only supporting seniors, but also by pushing for traditional American values that affect all of us. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending our freedoms and securing our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, entertainment, and special insurance rates. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience in our quest for conservative principles. Sign up now at amac.us slash mark, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash mark. And for a limited time, get a free gift membership for someone who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference, folks, with AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash mark, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash mark, and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 I have a question... For Joy Reid and the other malcontents on MSLSD and the Constipated News Network, I have a question. And it's this. Why all the focus? Why all the focus on Kyle Rittenhouse? And the two dead individuals who he had defended himself against. And the one who was injured all of whom are white. Why all the focus? Joy Reid and 
and other malcontents and miscreants, rainbow coalition of radical leftists. When Gabby was missing, they said, why all the attention on a white girl? Why all the attention on a white girl? What about all the other people who go missing, including people of color? So why all the attention on Kyle Rittenhouse? Slaughter takes place in this country every night, particularly on the weekends, especially on our inner cities. It is a horrific fact, black-on-black crime. It is horrific. Those are the statistics. And in Chicago, 50 people were shot last week. And did you know that, Mr. Producer? 50. 50. Like it's a war zone in Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that. 50 people were shot. And most of them were black. And you hear almost nothing. So why all the focus on Kyle Rittenhouse, America? Why all the focus on Kyle Rittenhouse, CNN and MSNBC and Joy Reid? Why not some focus on, on other shootings and killings that have taken place? Why has this reached such a pitched voice? I mean, I'm just asking the same question that Joy Reid asked about, about Gabby who was clearly murdered by her boyfriend. Why all the focus on her? Remember that? Why all the focus on her? What about other people who aren't white? Who get killed? And yet the question I just asked is rational, logical, consistent with what she asked. But she'll never ask it. She'll never ask it. Neither will M.E.D., Michael Eric Dyson, neither will Johnny, Johnny Capehart, or Cape Fear. Neither will the morning schmo and Mrs. Schmo and all the other schmoes over at MSLSD. They won't ask that question. Why not? This prosecutor did not have a case against Kyle Rittenhouse. And yet even today, the media want to see this kid in the electric chair. The morning schmo and Mrs. Schmo and the clowns they bring on who do their who do their imitation of uh, yes, yes, yes. Just agree with the hosts. What was that guy's name with Johnny Carson? My mind, I don't know what's happened to me. Everybody in their cars are yelling at me. It's, uh, what was his sidekick? Do you know, Rich? Do you remember? Google it real fast. I'll remember it. He was actually a good guy. I can't Google it because my computer's not working. Yes, Ed McMahon. Thank you. Ed McMahon. They're all sort of Ed McMahons, except he had integrity and ethics. So why all the focus on Kyle Rittenhouse? Huh? 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 How come nobody's complaining about these outrageous charges that were leveled against him within 36 or 48 hours of the events. Huh? Huh? How come? How come? Joy, can you answer that? M.E.D., Madman, can you answer that? How about you, Johnny Capehart? Morning Schmo, Schnazola. 
The boy on the bridge from Deliverance, the morning schmo, and this is schmo. Can you answer that? Of course not. And the conga line of frauds, freaks, and phonies on these cable networks. Of course they can't answer. And, uh, of course, they'll never be consistent either. That's the the, the nature of bigotry, ladies and gentlemen. That's the nature of bigots. The... uh, Oh, what's this called here? Americans for Tax Reform put out quite a uh, important piece. 50-state list of top tax rates under this Democrat bill that the Democrats want to pass. If the Democrats' tax and spend reconciliation bill is enacted, the average top tax rate on personal income would rise to 57.4% be the highest in the industrialized world. Is that what we want? To destroy business and competition and job creation and wealth creation? Is that what we want? And why would we, why would we punish ourselves so thoroughly so as to make us uncompetitive with the rest of the world? I mean, just think about the insanity that we're dealing with here. The combined federal and state top marginal income tax rates for each state under the Democrat bill... Uh, prepared by the Tax Foundation website, by the way. Here are the rates. New York, 66.2%. California, 64.7%. New Jersey, 63.2%. Hawaii, 62.4%. Washington, D.C., 62.2%. Oregon, 62%. Minnesota, 61.3%. Larry Hogan, Republican governor of state Maryland, he wants to be president, this clown, 60.4%. Vermont, 60.2%. Now, in Kansas, they massively increased the income tax under a Democrat governor. It would be 59.6% in Kansas. Delaware, 59.3%. So let's stop there for a moment. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So 11. The 11 top states, 10 are Democrat, 1 has a Democrat governor who rammed this through. Then we have Kasich was the governor of Delaware for some time. Excuse me. The governor of Ohio for some time, 59.1%. Wisconsin, 59.1%. Mitch McConnell's Kentucky, 58.9%. Iowa, 58.6%. Susan Collins's Maine, 58.6%. Connecticut, 58.4%. 58.4%. South Carolina, 58.4%. Pennsylvania, 58.3%. Montana, 58.2%. Nebraska, that's where SAS is from. SAS. You know the three letters in between that name, right? In the middle of that name, Mr. Producer? Nebraska, 58.2%. Michigan, 
58.1%. Idaho, 57.9%. Illinois, 57.9%. West Virginia, 579 But wait, there's more. Arkansas, 57.3. New Mexico, 57.3. Georgia, 57.2. Virginia, 57.2. That's why I'm going to get the hell out of here. North Carolina, 56.7. Alabama, 56.4. Massachusetts, 56.4. Mississippi, 56.4. New Hampshire, 56.4. Utah, 56.4. Oklahoma, 56.2. Colorado, 56. Arizona, 55.9%. Almost done. Louisiana, 55%. North Dakota, 54.3%. 54.3%. Hey, Alaska, 51.4%. Florida, 51.4%. Nevada, 51.4%. South Dakota, 51.4%. Tennessee, 514 The ones that I'm mentioning that are 514 do not have a state income tax. Wyoming, Washington State, Texas, Tennessee, South Dakota, Nevada, Florida, and Alaska do not have a state income tax. They would be 51.4%. Now, this is on the top rate. So many people, what's that top rate? What's it have to do with me? Everything. Everything. These people make money. They spend money. They create things. They invest in things. And if you want to attract capital and keep it in the United States and attract it from other people who are wealthy in other countries and bring it into the United States, you have lower tax rates. You have less regulations. You do exactly the opposite of what the American Marxists want us to do. This is a disaster, an unparalleled disaster that's right there on the horizon staring us in the face. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. All right, let's take a few calls here. Earlier than I typically do. Let's go to Scott, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, the great KTOK. Scott, go. Yes, uh, my question was real simple. Yesterday you mentioned that uh, the goofball in the over office, or Beaky Buzzard as I call him, was talking about ignoring the courts on the vaccine mandate. Fifth Circuit. Wouldn't that yep. be a violation of his uh, oath to defend the Constitution and therefore yes, it an would. impeachable offense? Yes, it is. Of course, I know that's not going to happen before the 22 midterms. No, the Republican establishment has no interest in doing to the Democrats what they did to our president. And in this case, this is the second time Biden's done this. And in the case of Trump, he didn't do anything. So uh, it really is shocking. He's ignoring a circuit court order. He ignored a Supreme Court order last time. And uh, he just does it. 
and there's no pushback from the repubes in the Congress. None. And I'm waiting for Liz Cheney to have a Politburo commission uh, to look into this and to, of course, subpoena all of the president's records. Aren't you, sir? Well, we know that's not going to happen, so, no. Waiting for that is like trying to hold your breath. Exactly. And that only lasts so long. Scott, thank you for your call, my friend. Lee, Fairfax, Virginia, on WMAL, the great WMAL. Go. Hi, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. Legal immigrant refugee, now citizen here, and I've always respected your legal and your philosophical mind. Where did you come from? Cyprus. Ah, very good. And my question is, what was the defense's rationale for putting Kyle on the stand? I'm not a lawyer, but I've heard that defendants don't have to take the stand, and the trial seemed to be going quite well for him based on the evidence presented. So we'd love your take on why this objected that kid to the stand today. Well, first of all, it's a very good question. And secondly, how do you know that kid, who's now 18 years old, didn't insist on taking the stand? Because in the end, it is the individual, the defendant, who gets to make that decision. That's number one. Number two, he did a hell of a job. They were trying to paint him as some kind of a radical, erratic, uh, you know, uh, trying to hunt down people and so forth and so on. And he demonstrated, I think, as I watched it, that he's none of those things. And uh, also you could see the prosecution's exasperation, how I believe they took two tacks to try and get a, uh, a mistrial because of how lousy they had done. And if you actually listen to Kyle Rittenhouse when he talks about the actual events that took place, each one, each one, each one, it's clearly a self-defense case. If you listen to the prosecution trying to bring in all kinds of extraneous information that has really no relationship to what took place in those nanoseconds on those three occasions, uh, they look kind of desperate to me. Now, nobody can know, nobody can know what the jury's thinking and so forth, but um, I don't think he hurt himself. I actually think he helped himself. You think yellow, the yellow. jury... If it's a hung jury, would they, uh, can they retry him? Unfortunately, yes. Everyone will yell out double jeopardy. But that's not what's meant by double jeopardy. Um, being tried for the same crime twice means, you know, being found innocent once and then being found guilty a second time. So if it's a hung jury, you treat it like it starts all over again. You could, but I think that would be uh, pretty damn outrageous because... Uh, they really don't have a case against uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, if you watch MSLSD or the Constipated News Network or read the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost, you'll think that Rittenhouse, of course, uh, is, uh, is guilty. But then again, you would also think that Hitler wasn't exterminating Jews, if you read the New York Times. You would have thought that Castro was a great freedom fighter and a small-D Democrat, and he would have thought Stalin was a swell guy. He wasn't starving the Ukrainians in 1932. They were just having a bad harvest. Uh, and, of course, if you watched any of the media over the course of the last several years, you would think that Donald Trump was part of this big Russia collusion effort 
And uh, you would have been listening for three and a half, four years as people are getting Pulitzer Prizes and writing books. And now they've humiliated themselves. So let's keep that in mind, too. Thank you for your call, my friend. Excellent call. I'm trying to look something up here very, very quickly. Um, Yes, uh, we have uh, Wisconsin right now. They have three. These eight bombshell moments torpedoed the state's Rittenhouse case. Written by Jessica McBride and Jim. Well, Jim, you know how to pronounce your name. I can't. Had a lot of dramatic moments, but these are the eight bombshells, they say, that sank the state's case. And they go through them. In each case, they demolish the state's most serious charges. First-degree reckless homicide in the death of Joseph Rosenbaum. First-degree intentional homicide in the death of Anthony Huber. An attempted first-degree intentional homicide in the wounding of Gage Grossgreck. For good measure, they also torpedoed the first-degree recklessly endangering charges against Daily Calder video editor Richie McGuinness and the unidentified man known in court as Jump Kick. Jump Kick. The entire prosecution has been a train wreck in search of a theory. What's the prosecution's theory? That it's not self-defense? And I would go on. What's the theory? That you can't defend yourself? Gage Grossquick admits pointing his gun at Rittenhouse as his bicep is vaporized, number one. Number two, Richie McGinnis demonstrates in court how Rosenbaum was lunging for Rittenhouse's gun. Number three, Grossgreck pro- proves Rittenhouse acted in self-defense against Anthony Huber. Number four, a photo shows Huber got his hand on Rittenhouse's gun. Number five, videos show Rosenbaum chasing Rittenhouse. Number six, the dramatic photo showing Jump Kick Man attacking Rittenhouse. Seven, Rosenbaum made a threat to kill Rittenhouse, testimony showed. And eight... The medical examiner's hand testimony. Other than that, I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. So uh, Joe Biden did a video today. It looked like one of these hostage videos, didn't it, Mr. Producer? And uh, he said he fixed the supply chain months ago, ladies and gentlemen. He fixed the supply chain months ago. And I'm thinking, you know what? Son of a gun is right. The supply chain for the drug cartels pushing their poison into America. He fixed that supply chain for the drug cartels. And the drug cartels now, have you read these reports? The drug cartels now have built these bases, if you will, these locations in many of our main cities, biggest cities, from which to do business. So while we're trashing law enforcement, undermining law enforcement... Destroying actual bail in this country. We're going to have more to deal with here. Because the drug cartel supply chain now is working like never before. Very smooth. They have lots on their shelves. Product is everywhere. Killing Americans. Maiming Americans. Now when it comes to the capitalist supply chain. There are now 111 freighters. With God knows how many thousands. Thousands of those big, whatever you call them, boxes and so forth, on these freighters. 111. It's going backwards. 
their labor issues, their environmental issues in California. Newsom's been missing for 12 days. But, you know, he survived the recall, so he figures he's king. He'll do whatever the hell he wants. And I might add, whereas Florida, free Florida, has the lowest uh, rate of coronavirus infections, California is now is double Florida. That is, the rate has doubled Florida. And they have these very repressive sort of East German, North Korean uh, policies in place. And by the way, what is Newsom going to do once the climate change really kicks in, Mr. Producer, in America, the Green New Deal? Where is he going to get the oil for his hair? You can't do that to your hair with solar power. You can't do that to your hair with electricity. Quite the opposite. Where is he going to get all that little dabble, do you? Where is he going to get that petroleum cream to rub in his hair like that? Where the flies and the mosquitoes and the gnats get stuck. Have you ever thought of that? Of course not. That's why I'm here. You know, dealing with car repairs can feel like a lose-lose situation. You lose your money, and you lose your time. If you don't have the right coverage, just one repair could bleed you dry. That's why there's CarShield. They can help you save more time and money than ever before. It is a big win-win. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I've been telling you about American Marxism for some time now. And, and Biden has more Marxists in his administration and I think even Obama did, other than himself, of course. And I think Obama did. And uh, I'm going to prove this to you. There is an individual called um, Salih Amarova. If that is her name. Sali or Sali Amarova. That's a she, by the way. And she's a nominee for the Office of the Controller of the Currency. The controller of the currency. During a social wealth seminar in March of this year, a social wealth seminar, here's what she had to say about oil, coal, and the gas industries. Cut to go. For certain uh, troubled industries and firms that are in transitioning. And here what I'm thinking about is primarily coal industry and oil and gas industry. A lot of the smaller players in that industry are uh, going to probably uh, go bankrupt in, in, in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change, right? Oh, yes, absolutely right. Yes, yes, we want them to go bankrupt. Put people out of work, drive up the cost of energy. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Hey, what a genius. So why would Biden... I'm asking Democrats who consider themselves mainstream, maybe Clinton Democrats, whatever... Look at the people he wants to appoint to these positions. I talked about the Federal Communications Commission yesterday. I talked about the Federal Communications Industry yesterday, uh, 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 Commission, where Biden has selected one of the most radical Marxists imaginable who wants to control the content of the Fox News Channel, who wants to control the content of Newsmax, who wants to control the content of OAN, who wants to destroy conservative talk radio. It's 2-2 right now in the FCC. She would be number three. She'd be in charge as the most radical among them. 
And that's the agenda they want to push. And they just hired a staffer, ladies and gentlemen, who worked at the FCC under Obama, who is so radical, such a kook, that even Google kicked her ass out of that company. So where does she wind up? In the Biden administration. This is what we're getting. And we're going to be watching very, 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 very carefully the Republicans in the Senate and a few of the Democrats because these so-called mainstream Democrats, you know, we got two, two in Virginia, two lousy, no-good leftists who pretend they're moderates all the time, but they vote down the line. Marxism. Particularly, uh, and they're both freakish, by the way. Mark Warner. Mark Warner has a a nervous issue there with his uh, whole face. It contorts constantly. And then we have Tim Kaine. But the eyebrow, the eyebrow that's totally out of control. Looks like he has, uh, you know, a worm over his eye. Just, you you can't even understand what he's saying. You're staring at his eyebrow. Try it. One of them is perfectly still, and the other one keeps popping up and down. Anyway. But don't you know they're moderates? They want to work across the aisle, bipartisan. No, they're not. None of them are. They all vote right down the line with schmucky Chucky Schumer. Right down the line. And by the way, speaking of oil, you see the cornrows that... uh, Schumer plugged into his forehead about 20 years ago. He thought that what uh, Joe Biden had done to his forehead looked so cool. So they both have the cornrow plugs in their foreheads. But Schumer, heavy-duty oil. As I used to say, we could build a pipeline to Schumer's hair and solve our energy problems. We could. That guy uh, with his davening, with the hair, with, uh, with all the rest of it. Really uh, relatively grotesque, I would say. All right, let's see here. Let us take a few more calls here. Oh, yes. Jim Huntsville, Alabama, XM Satellite. How are you, Jim? Fine, sir. Uh, Mr. Levine, I appreciate you taking my call. Uh, Second of all, I would like to wish a happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there tomorrow. Very well said. Uh, And, of course, today is the birthday of the United States Marine Corps. Born, correct, born in Philadelphia, I might say. Outstanding, outstanding. Uh, I, I take you as the constitutional educator, and I listen to you three hours every night. Mm-hmm. And the one question that I have, because uh, I asked a few of my friends, uh, if, this, if it's time to... I will give you the advice I always give to people for free, including family members. Wear a neck brace. Anyway, yeah. go right ahead. <laughs> okay, so I appreciate it. Well, anyways, I was just wondering uh, what the process is, because I've asked a few friends, and I've read your Liberty Amendments, and I think it's an outstanding book. Thank you. And I was just wondering what, what it would take to, to start a convention of states. What is the process for a citizen uh, to go through the states? Who do we need to call and stuff like that? To activate it? Well, think- first of all, we have 15 states that have voted for a convention of states, and you need 34 We have 15 states really without a lot of money. We have a wonderful organization called Convention of States. And I would encourage you to go on the Internet, plug in those terms, and then work with those folks. They have local and state chapters. And it is an outstanding organization. And that's how a citizen can get involved in it. As you know, I'm a big believer in this. You read Liberty Amendments. And it's something we should never give up on. So I believe in the Convention of States. If you... uh, 
If you Google or Bing or DuckDuck, I prefer a convention of states, it'll take you to Mark Meckler's site. And the more the merrier. They want people to join and they want them to work in their states. All right, my friend. And by the way, uh, Jim, uh, you're in Alabama. I don't know if Alabama has adopted it or not, but again, you'll see the website and that'll tell you. I think it has, uh, but it'll show you also how to help in other states. All right, my friend. All right. All right, Mr. Levin, I really appreciate it. And one word I haven't heard you say in a long time is yenta. Yenta? Well, have a good yantaf. All right, my friend. I should say that more often, shouldn't I, Mr. Producer? I think I should. Why not is exactly right. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Quote the great Marvin. We're moving and grooving here. Moving and grooving, Mr. Producer. Did you know that? The great Marvin. He's a host on the uh, Gem Shopping Network. And I have to say, those hosts are great. Every darn one of them. They are great. And that wheel going round and round, man, if you need some sleep, Rich, I'm telling you what. But it's also fun to watch. It's fun to watch. I like watching it. What can I tell you? And uh, they have some very, very great hosts there. Really do. Over at the NAH, NHS, excuse me, National Health, uh, uh, Amanda Pritchard. Have you ever heard of Amanda Pritchard? Anybody know who Amanda Pritchard is? Mr. Producer, do you know who Amanda Pritchard is? Well, that's her place. NHS. This is over in England. National Health Service. NHS boss Amanda Pritchard is accused of abusing COVID statistics for claiming 14 times as many infected patients were in the hospital compared to last year, even though the true toll is lower than 2020. And this is an issue that's being raised in our own country. In our own country. NHS England's chief executive was accused of abusing those statistics. During a round of interviews this morning, um, she made the comments as she urged people to come forward for their booster vaccines and warned the health service was under very real pressure. I want to talk about this Aaron Rodgers thing briefly. May I do that? I don't know Aaron Rodgers. I've never talked to Aaron Rodgers. Yellow. I've never met Aaron Rodgers. He is a fantastic quarterback. So again, what do I know? I'm not a special pleader. But why don't you get the hell off his back? Get off his back! Well, he lied, says Terry Bradshaw. Well, he lied. He shouldn't have lied. He hurt the league. He hurt the league. Oh, no, let me tell you something. The league is beyond repair. The league hurt itself with Kaepernick and all the other, uh, and all the other anti-Americans taking a knee. That's right, I said it. The leg has hurt itself. Trust me on this. Aaron Rodgers, well, he lied. He lied? Tell me, did he lie like Biden with Afghanistan, resulting in the deaths of American military personnel, still hundreds of American citizens in enemy territory, and the clown 
spokes idiot over there at the Defense Department today was asked about it. They still don't know how many are over there. And we're talking also about family members of service personnel. And what about the Afghan patriots who fought side by side with us? Aaron Rodgers didn't do that. Aaron Rodgers didn't lie about the southern border being closed when it's open. And everybody can come in, including rapists and perverts, child molesters. Everybody can come in. Come on in. Drug cartels, kidnappers, coyotes. Come on in. Who's doing that, Aaron Rodgers? No, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is doing that. Do you, Mr. Producer? No, I don't. Who wants to destroy separation of powers, our constitutional system, right at the core? I think it's the Democrat Party. and I don't think Aaron Rodgers is doing that. Do you, America? Who lies day in and day out and says the, the massive spending like drunken Marxists on Capitol Hill, that, that, don't, that won't cost us anything. In fact, it'll help. It'll help cut the debt. That lie, monumental lie. Is that Aaron Rodgers? No, that's not Aaron Rodgers, I don't think. No, 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 not in the least. And I can go down the list. I can go down the list. You know, critical race theory, that, that's not taught in our schools in Virginia. What a lot, of course it is. Well, who's pushing that lie? The media. Russia collusion. Month after month, year after year. Tearing this nation apart. Who pushed that? Hillary. Obama. The media. Lying bastards. That wasn't, that wasn't Aaron Rodgers. Now was it? How about covering up for Hunter Biden? That wasn't Aaron Rodgers. And I could go on and on and on. So what's all this crap and these attacks on Aaron Rodgers, well, you know, he should have told his teammates. Uh, should have just told them, I'm not vaccinated. And what if he had done that? Would he be playing football today, Mr. Producer? No. So say what you will, he was cornered. He was pushed into this situation by the mandates. By the mandates. As opposed to the women dates. But you get my point. And I assure you, he's not alone. There's people all over this country working in the federal bureaucracy, federal contractors, state government, city government, working in the private sector, whose livelihoods are on the line. And they don't know what to do. They don't want know what to do. So don't be so quick to pass judgment on Aaron Rodgers. And how about Fauci? He lies for a living. Biden, liar. Schumer, liar. Pelosi, liar, liar, liar. And they affect our lives directly. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 how many hosts can do a quality, substantive, entertaining, intriguing radio program with their own brain and an iPhone, Mr. Producer? Seriously. 
other than Rush? Me. Which is exactly what I'm doing right now. They have to have stacks and piles of stuff and computers are on. I'm doing this without any such technology. Without any such technology. Um, But there are issues that I consider, you know, crucially important related to today's uh, events as well as other events. And so these are the things that I, uh, that I want to discuss with you. But before I do, we've got some great audio that uh, Mr. Producers put together. We have, uh, let's see here, Pelosi, it, is she still in this climate change thing? Uh, we still have, we have Buttigieg, God, is he an idiot. About, uh, about uh, you know, civil rights violations with uh, respect to bridges and so forth. Just crazy, in my humble opinion. We have, uh, the, uh, we have Jeffrey Tubin on CNN today on the Rittenhouse case. Anybody want to hear what he has to say? I do. And apparently he's saying it with his pants on this time. Cut 16, go. Has no license. He has no training. He thinks he's going to scrub graffiti off with his AR-15. What an I mean, idiot! One event had nothing to do with the other. He didn't think he was going to scrub graffiti with his AR-15. You're such a clown. You're not even a good legal analyst. You're a bad legal analyst. Go ahead of this is like what could possibly go wrong well a lot went wrong the good news for Kyle Rittenhouse is that he's not on trial for being an idiot oh, why he's don't you tri- shut the hell up you loser you pantsless buffoon you pervert that's right you pervert you know nothing about this young man he there he is he's he's involved in a trial and he took the stand he has guts and he took the stand because he knows he's innocent There's more video here than uh, with the Zabruder film. And we all know, all you have to do is look at the uh, video that the mob, the mob, that's right, the mostly not peaceful mob was trying to kill that kid. And you, you jerk, you jerk, hit a civic interest in trying to help protect the community that his father lives in, that he knows very, very well. That's more than the damn mayor did. That's more than the damn governor did. You jerks at CNN, you sit on your fat asses when you're not sexually harassing somebody or you don't have your pants on. That's why you have no ratings, you moron. This isn't a legal analysis. It's the analysis of a dummy. Uh, Bit my tongue, and it was no fun. Speaking of, Liz Cheney. At New Hampshire, free speech event today. She's obsessed with Donald Trump. I'm starting to think she's romantically obsessed. Because who conducts themselves this way, Mr. Producer? Liz Cheney. The world's going to hell. The communist Chinese are on the move. The Iranians are getting nuclear warheads. Russia is on the move. We have wide open borders. Inflation through this. And she's making... Friends with the Democrats who are trying to destroy Donald Trump and all his supporters. Because she's going to get to the bottom of January 6th. Not the Department of Justice, not the FBI. No, 
Liz Cheney, she's going to get to the bottom of it with that whole lineup of reprobates, malcontents, and miscreants. You see that crowd? Adam Schiff. You wouldn't catch me in the same building with Adam Schiff. But this was an insurrection, don't you know? This was an insurrection. How do we know? Because they keep repeating the word. Like they're parrots. Cut 17, go. We are also confronting a domestic threat that we've never faced before. A former president who's attempting to unravel the foundations of our constitutional republic. No, he's not, you idiot. No, he's not. Some people said that about your father and his boss. GWB. Go ahead. Aided by political leaders who have made themselves willing hostages to this dangerous... And you know what? This woman shouldn't be on this committee. She has no intention of doing any fact-finding whatsoever. She's quite the Stalinist. That's right, I said it! She is quite the Stalinist. Hey, look, uh, he's uh, overthrowing the Constitution everything. She doesn't believe in due process. She doesn't believe in, in any of that. That's the irony. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's dangerous. He's overthrowing the Constitution. And the political leaders who are, who are supporting him, just, just shameless, just, just unbelievable. What about Russia collusion and all the rest of it? She don't want to hear a damn thing. Not a damn thing. Go ahead. Rational man. Just last night, former President Trump was invited by House Republican leaders. To Why do you key- care about last night? What does that have to do? You see, ladies and gentlemen, she's proving it. She's impeaching herself. I don't mean not, not constitutionally. I mean in this sort of a judicial setting. She's impeaching herself. She's obsessed with it. And Trump last night, you know what he did? Oh, he said these things about the 13 repubes that voted to, to give the Democrats what they wanted and, and to drive up our debt. How dare he do that? You know what he said? I mean, my God. Hey, moron. And yes, you've now become an official moron. All this stuff swirling around this country, and this is your focus. Have you actually gone to the D.C. corrections facility, the jail, that a federal judge ruled was despicable, was disgusting? The U.S. Marshals went in there. Do you care about that, Liz? Are you going to go over there? Is the committee going to go over there and moss and check out what's taking place over there? No, you don't give a damn. You don't care about the Constitution. You don't care about constitutional rights. Go ahead at our annual large fundraising dinner. At the dinner... Would this be the same Republicans that threw you out of the number three slot in leadership? I think it was. I think it is. What did he do there, Liz? Did he lead an insurrection of unarmed Republican congressmen against the maitre d' in the restaurant? What did he do there, Liz? Tell us, please. Go ahead. Again, that the insurrection was on November 3rd. And that the events of January 6th, when a violent mob invaded the Capitol in an effort to overturn the will of the American people. All right, let's slow down. There were things that happened in this election that shouldn't have happened, that were unprecedented. And I keep going back to Pennsylvania, a key state. 
This has nothing to do with conspiracy theories. This has to do with the Constitution. And Liz Cheney doesn't give a damn. She could care less about the violation of the federal Constitution by the Democrat elected and controlled Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, by the Democrat elected Governor of Pennsylvania, by the Democrat Secretary of State. She could care less. She could care less. But there she is, a monotone. Go ahead. And stop the constitutional process of the counting of electoral votes. Excuse me. You know, it has been stopped in the past. I'm not arguing for or against it. What I'm saying is, if you're encouraging the vice president, who for these purposes is overseeing the counting of the, uh, of the votes... It's not an insurrection if the president says to the vice president. I mean, you really should not do this. You should really take a look at Pennsylvania, take a look at this state, just take a look at that state. That's not an insurrection. What were the Democrats trying to do when they kept challenging the Bush election and the counting of electoral college votes? What were the Democrats doing when they were objecting to votes being counted in states like Alabama, for God's sakes? What were they doing? That must have been an insurrection, too. How are they any different? How are they any different? When Al Gore goes around the country and says the election was stolen from him. When the Democrat Party says the election was stolen from him. That was George W. Bush. You might remember him, Liz. That was your dad's boss. He's the guy that made your dad vice president. Hello, hello, wake up. Oh, the Supreme Court intervened. Was that an insurrection, too? When the Supreme Court intervened and voted 7-2 to to put an end to the Michigas that was going on in the state of Florida? Was that an insurrection too, Liz? I'm just curious. Go ahead. ...were a protest, that they were justified. Political leaders who sit silent in the face of these false... If you don't join me, Liz Cheney, and agree with what I'm doing and what I say, then you are just... disgusting human being because I I and a phalanx of like-minded morons this is our focus go ahead claims are aiding a former president who is at war with the rule of law Uh, and the Constitution you may not be familiar with Biden who has defied two court decisions so far and you haven't said crap you haven't said a damn thing Trump never did that go ahead Thank God she's done. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. Hakeem Jeffrey says in a Twitter post, lock up Kyle Rittenhouse and throw away the key, Mr. Producer. In the middle of a trial. Hakeem Jeffries is what I call a dumbass. May I say that? I think I will. Hakeem Jeffries is a dumbass. But he exposes the Marxism within the Democrat Party, because that's how it works. And in this case, the Stalinism. And I notice that word's being used more and more on this platform. That's a good thing. People are learning. 
So Hakeem Jeffries is a Stalinist. Did you know that? Lock up Kyle Rittenhouse, throw away the key. In the middle of a trial where this young man has demonstrated that he was defending himself. So how come, Hakeem, how come you're a Stalinist? So many of you are in the Democrat Party. But don't worry, Liz Cheney is focused elsewhere. Liz Cheney is focused elsewhere, much like Chris Christie. I can't think of a single thing Chris Christie has done or did as governor that was important or profound or lasting other than raid the refrigerator in the cafeteria there at the governor's quarters, I suppose. But here is uh, here's our, our man, the Cape Mayorka, at the Republican Jewish Coalition meeting on Saturday. That's where I was, but I didn't waste my time sitting in to listening, but boy, were people pissed off at him. They go into these forums as guests, and then they have to make a scene. Because that's how Chris Christie got all the attention, even though he gave the most boring, predictable, lackluster speech. Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Christie. Pretty much that's it. Cut 18, go. For all people who say they're supporters of President Trump, the line begins behind me. No, it doesn't, first of all. Nobody can see the line behind you, with all due respect. And I would just say this. There's no way I would ever line up behind you. You get my drift? Now, that said. It doesn't begin with you. You line up behind me. You've been taking shots at this man left and right. Left and right. Go ahead. I started that, but let me tell you something else. Yeah, what? We can no longer talk about the past and the past elections. No, 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 no. Only with Russia collusion. Right? Only with 2,000 in the Supreme Court. Only the Democrats can talk about the past. Folks, if we don't fix this election process, we can't win the presidency. That's the problem. Mark Elias, hundreds of millions of, of, uh, in dark money contributions. You see, Chris Christie is moronic. He doesn't even know any of this. He doesn't even care. He's playing for the media. You know, he sees Liz Cheney getting all this attention. He wants the attention. He's used to it. And then Kasich is coming up. He's trying to get attention. And you know, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm Chris Christie. Line up behind me. And um, all kinds of things have taken place that are taking place here. Billionaires and millionaires. Dark money into this Mark Elias campaign. But Chris doesn't care, ladies and gentlemen. No. Go ahead. No matter... He did not no get a lot of applause. Really. It was a spattering of applause. That's it. Go ahead. On that issue, no matter where you stand, it is over. And every minute that we spend talking about 2020, while we're wasting time doing that, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris... Didn't he just spend like five minutes doing that, Mr. Producer? Hey, uh, hey, 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 fella. What? You're the one talked about it there. Nobody else spoke a word about it. Nobody. Except Chris Christie. Double C. More like quadruple Z. Go ahead. And Chuck Schumer are laying ruin to this country. We better focus on that and take our eyes off the rearview mirror and start looking through the windshield again. Oh, okay. 
Nobody's doing that, are they, America? Nobody's doing that. Uh, everybody's doing that, as a matter of fact. Everybody. So I'm not sure what he's talking about, but it would have been nice if he goes up and hammers the crap out of Biden and Kamala Harris and Schumer, Liz Cheney, and so forth and so on. People who have never backed this man, undermined him from day one. It would have been nice if he was going to talk about it, got up there and talked about what the Democrats did in 2016 with Russia collusion, with the FBI, what they did, Obama, and all the rest. But no. What Hillary Clinton did. No, no, no. It's an attack on Trump. And by the way, I don't know about you, but every now and then I have to look in the rearview mirror. Every now and then, of course, we have to look back at experience in history. And if we're going to get hit, we're going to get rear-ended. I'll be right back. Voice of sanity in an insane world. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. The Biden administration, of course, they're big believers in civil liberties. And so we have this piece from Adam Credo over at the Free Beacon, an outstanding site. Biden administration amassing millions of records on U.S. gun owners amid new crackdowns on firearms. The Biden administration in just the past year alone stockpiled the records of more than 54 million U.S. gun owners and is poised to drastically alter gun regulations to ensure that information on Americans who own firearms ultimately ends up in the federal government's hands according to internal alcohol, tobacco, and firearms documents obtained by the Washington Free Beacon. This is one damn nefarious administration. It is as nefarious as it gets. The ATF in fiscal year 2021 processed 54.7 million out-of-business records according to an internal ADF document obtained by the Gun Owners of America, a firearms advocacy group, and provided exclusively to the Free Beacon. When a licensed gun store goes out of business, its private records detailing gun transactions become ATF property and are stored at a federal site in West Virginia. This practice allows the federal government to stockpile scores of gun records and has drawn outrage from gun advocacy groups that say the government is using the information to create a national database of gun owners, which has long been prohibited under federal law. Liz! Oh, Lizzie! Are you there, Lizzie? Here's another impeachable offense, right? The ATF obtained 53.8 million paper records, and another 887,000 electronic records, according to the internal document that outlines ATF actions in fiscal year 2021. Gun activists described this figure as worryingly high and said it contributes to fears that the Biden administration is trying to keep track of all Americans who own firearms in violation of federal statutes. The procurement of these records by ATF comes as the Biden administration moves to alter current laws to ensure that gun records are stored in perpetuity, a.k.a. forever. Apparently, gun shops can destroy their records after 20 years, thereby preventing the ATF from accessing the information in the future. Now, the ATF's registry site in West Virginia has long been a battleground between gun advocates and the federal government. 
Those in favor of more restrictive gun measures want the ATF to digitize this registry and create a federal database of U.S. gun owners. Gee, I can't imagine what would go wrong with that. A move opposed by gun groups such as Gun Owners of America, the National Rifle Association, and of course, we, the people. Why would they need a gun registry of everybody who owns weapons? What is the conceivable reason? There's only one reason. If one day we've reached a point, 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now, where they get these court rulings that allow them to confiscate our weapons. Like it happened in Australia. I don't think the reaction would be quite as we've seen in Australia. I think the American people, at least a certain percentage of the American people, wouldn't tolerate it, quite frankly. We do have a Bill of Rights. That is our governing law, the Constitution. Not some statute passed by a bunch of radical Marxists and upheld by activist judges. The ATF has so many records stored in its West Virginia site that several years ago the floor collapsed, according to the New York Times. An ATF spokesman declined to comment on internal agency records, but told the Free Beacon the agency's, quote, National Tracing Center processes millions of -of out-of-business records each month. However, those out-of-business records do not constitute an initiation or continuation of any federal gun registry, the spokesman had said. Sure it doesn't. Sure it doesn't. ATS proposed regulations would also require gun parts to be regulated with background checks, meaning if an individual assembled a legal homemade gun, he may be forced to submit it to 16 different that background checks. Unbelievable, really. Unbelievable what's going on in this country, if you ask me. I mean, we have open borders, drug cartels, we've got armed gangs murdering each other. All this sort of stuff going on. And, uh, but it's the, it's the law-abiding, tax-paying citizen who is always targeted by these people. Always. You know, enough is enough. As far as I'm concerned, enough is enough. All right, let's take a couple callers here. Alex! Omaha, Nebraska, XM Satellite, a trucker. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing tonight? Very Thanks well, for thank you. taking my call. Thank you. Doing a great job on that cell phone. Um, just <laughs> quickly. So the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Yeah. This prosecutor, what he's doing is more like he's putting the gun on trial. Every time they talk about a rifle, he's talking about an AR-15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he knows that that is a uh, that triggers, so to speak, uh, the left. Oh, an AR-15. I have an AR-15. It's a very uh, matter-of-fact rifle. Nothing particularly special about it at all. No, and he's also putting on Carl. I mean, Carl Rittenhouse is doing a great job, but he's also making self-defense look like it's murder the whole time. Every time he talks about it, it's like he's bringing it up like it's murder. Well, here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to build a, a logic stream, which is really quite outrageous, which is he was 17. He had his friend buy the rifle for him because he couldn't buy it. 
He interprets Wisconsin law as not allowing him to use the rifle. I've talked to some people who know Wisconsin law who say actually the statute's very ambiguous, very convoluted, well, whatever it is. And he wants to take it from there. You could listen to how he's trying to tell the story and how he's trying to weave all this together. And so he goes into this community and he thinks he's Superman. He wants to put out fires. He wants to help medical people rather than, I mean, people with medical assistance uh, rather than call 911. And then he's talking about shooting shoplifters and then, There he is showing up in a town that's not his, although it's his father's, and he's quite familiar with it, and he's been there a lot. And there he is walking in a crowd that he knows is hostile, looking for trouble. And what did he expect people to do when he's walking around with an AR-15 rifle? How did he expect them to react? Now, none of that has anything to do with with his completely reasonable, more than reasonable actions to defend himself against would-be killers. People who wanted to kill him, or at least he certainly thought so. And we know uh, a number of these, uh, uh, these groups, that's what they do. And, and one of these guys is a convicted rapist and so forth. You know, they never tell us. Who are these three people exactly? The guy that got shot in the bicep, it was said, well, you're a member of a communist group. No, I'm not. But he gave a speech to a communist group. I and mean, these are real big-time revolutionaries. And then I heard the prosecutors say, I mean, what damage can a, uh, a skateboard do? A skateboard? I mean, a skateboard's like a bat for all intents and purposes. You can kill somebody with a skateboard. You can kill somebody with a soup spoon. Now, he was hit in the head twice. He was knocked down. People are charging at him. All hell is breaking loose. Not because of him, because of them. So he's defending himself. And if this isn't self-defense, there is no such thing as self-defense. All right, Alex, final words? Final word is, I hope he gets off, and I hope they don't pursue this any further. That's my final word. I agree 100%. And the fact that this was even charged like this is outrageous. Within 36 or 48 hours of these events, the prosecution, that's district attorney's office, didn't even have all the facts, but they charged him anyway. And that's what happens with mob justice. Mob justice isn't just at all. And when I say mob justice, I don't just mean in the streets. I mean, in these media newsrooms, that's where the real mob is and the real mobsters. All right, Alex, thank you for your call, my friend. Let us continue. Jeff, Webster, Iowa, another trucker. Yes, sir. On the supply chain. Jeff, go right ahead. Yes, sir. Yeah, Mark. This court case in Wisconsin, I'll tell you, if them jerks hadn't have been out there tearing crap up, they wouldn't have got shot in the first place. That's true, too. How come nobody brings that up? Except you. The Liz Cheney's and Chris Christie's of the world, they're just trying to make themselves relevant because nobody mm-hmm. gives a crap about them anymore. And Chris and, Christie couldn't get elected New Jersey governor again if his life depended on it. No, and Liz Cheney might as well float down a river somewhere because... Oh, in a raft, Democrats of course, in a raft. To her. Yes. Well, yeah, that'd be fine. Now, the reason I called was this man-made shortage of, of stuff going on and mainly coming out of California with all these containers and ships sitting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure if it's taken place yet. But it is coming down the line. The governor of California has outlawed trucks older than 2011, and you cannot be an owner-operator and operate in California anymore. This is very, very important. We had another trucker call. We talked about this a few weeks ago. 
that you cannot own these older trucks, and they're not that old, but they're extraordinarily expensive, as you know. And you're right, owner-operators cannot conduct, uh, cannot do their jobs in the state of California. No. And well, so it's union. And nobody them. talks about it but me and you and other truckers. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, okay. So these foreign nationals that are driving trucks, in the first place, you're supposed to read and speak English to be able to get a license. That's not the case, except for the Americans have to do that. Well, that would mean Joe Biden could never be a, a trucker. He can't read and he can't speak. Go right ahead. Well, there you go. So they're wanting to put more of them in all the time, and mm-hmm. this actually happened to me a while back. I got, a, I got rode up on an inspection just a little bit in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't cost me any money, but it was points a few points against my safety record for the wrong wording on the side of my truck. But I had the wording on there that we used to have and made sense. But anyway, mm-hmm. this fella shows me a piece of paper that came from his bosses that these foreign nationals, unless they are causing a lot of trouble, at a scale or an inspection, mm-hmm. just let them go. That's great. They can't understand them. They their equipment's not up to par to what our our trucks are, mm-hmm. and so they can let them go. But they're sitting there writing me up for a for a minor violation on wording on the side of my. Well, truck. of course. All the time, they want to pick on the American truckers. Exactly. And and this guy didn't want to. He was a he was a damn nice DOT cop. Mm-hmm. But he showed me that paper. I said, would you let me have a copy of that? He said, no way. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of crap the Americans are fighting all the time. But if some of these some of these so-called Republicans, like the Chris Christie's, would have fought a little bit, we'd still have a good president in there called Donald Trump. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call very much. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. All right, let's take a call. Let us go to Dave Racine, Wisconsin, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hello, Mark. Uh, just wanted to answer your question from earlier in the program. Um, the reason uh, the left uh, commentators are going after Carl, uh, Litt- Carl Rittenhouse. Ryan, and, uh, yeah, yeah, Kyle, right? Kyle, yeah. they want to basically string him up, as Hakeem Jeffries said, was because they... Um, uh, the left uh, will only attack evil, uh, uh, and or, I mean the left does not attack evil. They only attack those who fight evil. Mm-hmm. And the reason, and one of the things is that most of the people that Kyle was, uh, uh, you know, kind of protecting was protecting Kenosha against uh, basically a leftist mob. So mm-hmm. that is why um, they. Now the bottom yeah. line is he defended himself, and uh, there's simply no doubt about it. Video taken at every angle. Uh, it's just that the media uh, are really nuts. They really are hateful nuts. They are effectively the rioters in the street, but they're dressed up. They wear their ties and their dresses, and except for Tubin without his pants. And there they are in a, in a television studio. But they have the same mentality, exactly the same mentality. And in their own way, 
obviously not physically. They're burning down our country, too. They're burning down the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment. You know, with the, just as uh, Biden is burning down our country with his uh, ATF order, too. All right, my friend, John Plainfield, Illinois, Sirius Satellite. Go right ahead. Yeah. How are you doing, sir? Well, uh, I've been how are you? listening for about two years now. Thank you. Good. I've been listening for about two years now, and uh, first-time mm-hmm. caller. Uh, it's an honor to actually get on, a, get on the phone with you. Thank you. Um, so <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm 31 years old. I'm, uh, I'm a manager at a retail store. It's a national chain, and mm-hmm. we've got about 15,000 employees. And um, I forget which show I was listening to uh, this week, and uh, it was totally Wilkow, and he was saying that uh, how they're trying to get OSHA to implement these vaccine mandates hmm. um, and whatnot, and how oh, that's, that's true. They shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so I got an email just this evening from our HR department at corporate saying that um, starting January 4th, um, OSHA is using some emergency order to either... Yes, they're using emergency powers. Number one, they have violated the emergency process. And number two, they don't have the power, period. So they can call an emergency or whatever they want. Your HR department's full of crap. But they're all nervous. They all bow to the, uh, to the uh, totalitarianism that's coming out of Washington, D.C. My friend, I'm sorry. I've got to go. We only have about 20 seconds left. Folks, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Outstanding callers, each and every one. I want to thank you for participating. Thank you for listening. That's participating, too. We shall overcome, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll see you tomorrow right here. Be well and God bless.